Let us pray. God, we are grateful to be here this morning to encounter your word, to be touched by your spirit, to connect our spirits with your spirit, to know that you love us and that you give us the hope that we need to live each day of our life. So Lord, we ask your blessing upon this time as we come together in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we are at the end of the book of Acts, the last chapter today. We have made it through the whole book of Acts. What a wonderful thing we have done here. And let us one more time say our, our uh, theme verse. And I encourage you that you might want to, maybe you have it ingrained in your mind and it's with you all the time, or maybe you want to write it out somewhere and put it somewhere where you can remember that God calls us to be his witnesses. So let's read this together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I have to admit that in my life, I have not had too many adversities. I know people who have had some great, great adversities in their life, but I have had many trials and challenges and hardships, and those come upon you, and they make it difficult. They can, they can overwhelm you. They can seem like waves, or they're just crashing down upon you. If you've ever been in the ocean, you know, and, the, and you go out, and the first waves hit you, and you're kind of, you know, not quite on your f- feet, and then the next wave comes, and it knocks you down, and you try to give up, and then the next wave, and it's kind of difficult. It's like that life sometimes. Like, it doesn't seem to come in waves. You know, maybe you get in a car accident, and then Next thing you know, you get this unexpected bill that you were, didn't have money set aside for. And then, and then you find out a family member is sick, and you, you wonder, what else can happen in life? Paul was one that faced great adversity, and he had this perspective. And when you see the yellow, please read the yellow with me. But Paul said, but God said to me, Paul is saying, my grace is sufficient for you, For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. What a phrase, huh? I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. You know, like, Paul, are you crazy? I delight in persecutions. How can you say that? I delight in difficulties. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we've gone through the book of Acts. We've seen all the hardships and adversities and trials that Paul has been going through. We've seen that for for two years he was in prison, even though they found him not guilty, or he, he was not quite found guilty yet. He was just waiting there for it really to have his trial um, with Caesar, right? And so Paul is dealing with all of these adversities. And yet, right up to the end, we see Paul is serving Christ with a great attitude. He is serving Christ. Paul is going to get some encouragement in this time. He's going to find some um, hospitality. Now, as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about hospitality, I was thinking that when we moved, my first church was in Pueblo West, Colorado. I've told you about that before. And when we moved there, there was about 150 housing starts a month um, in this, no, not a month, like a week, I think, 150 a week in this new community. It was about 17,000, 
when we moved in. And because there's 150 a week, you can imagine the, the difficulty of the phone company trying to get phones into all of these homes. And so when we arrived, we came into a brand new home that didn't have a landline. And so what they would do, and just think about this for a moment, they'd give you a cell phone, and on the cell phone they'd give you 150 free minutes. Yay, right? Think about that for a moment. If you know any math at all, divide 150 by 30 and you get five, right? That gives you five minutes of free, five free minutes of phone a day. Anybody use more than five minutes of phone a day? And then when you've moved into a home, right, and all the things, the calls you have to make, right? So I go off to work the first day, and when I come home, Tammy has this amazing story. She says, our neighbor came by this morning, and she knocked on my door, and when I opened the door, she gave me her portable phone, and she said, I'm sure you have a lot of phone calls to make. Here's my phone. You can use it for the day. I'll be back about five. What an amazing thing. What a gift of hospitality as we moved in. It wasn't just like, hi, I'm your neighbor. If you need anything, let me know. I mean, she was like, here's a phone. Use it all day, and then I'll be back. What a great gift of hospitality. Now, when we lived in Pueblo West, it was amazing. There were almost no fences between houses. Now, coming from California, that's unheard of, right? I mean, there's more than fences. There are fences, there's like covers, and there's like, you know, shields and big doors and locked windows and bars on, right? I mean, we live in California where, I mean, there is every kind of sign like, stay away, keep out. You know, don't come to my door, don't knock on my door, don't ring my bell, don't even step on my grass, or an alarm will go off and the police will come, right? That's what, kind of what we experience in California. And then we go to Colorado, and there's no fences. There's just like this openness. And the same neighbor, later on, they built this little fence, just enough for just, you know, a little privacy, just a tiny little fence. And then they put a swing set in their backyard for the grandson, and they said... We're going to put the swing set right on the edge of our two yards so that anytime Tyler wants to swing, he can come over and swing on our swing. That was the kind of experience we had, hospitality. And when you have that kind of hospitality with people around you, it's very encouraging, isn't it? Very uplifting. We see that uh, at the end of chapter 27, remember the ship was being wrecked. They're sailing, remember they're sailing from Caesarea to Rome. Paul was going to have a trial in Rome. The ship was wrecked, and they were going to kill all the prisoners because they're afraid they're going to escape. And the centurion said, "No, no, 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 don't kill them." And Paul said, "No, don't kill them. They'll be okay. They won't do anything." And so they made it onto the island of Malta, and there they found hospitality, as Arthur read to us. It was rainy. It was cold. They built a fire, and of course, Paul, always being one to be busy and to work, he was gathering firewood. And as he reached down into the firewood, this snake bit him. And the people said, oh, he's a prisoner. That's his just reward, right? That shows that he is guilty. He's surely going to die. I, I love that phrase that says, and for a long time they looked at him. I mean, that's just an interesting phrase. kind of like, you know, they're walking by, they're looking at Paul. No, nothing. Come back around, they're looking at Paul. No, he still hasn't swollen up. He's still, no, no, no. He's, I mean, for a long time. How long is a long time? I mean, that must have been weird for Paul, right? There are people, everybody's like staring at him. What's going to happen to him? You know, is he going to blow up like a balloon, or what is he going to do, right? 
And then nothing happened to him. And so they went to the other extreme, didn't they? They're like, oh, he's a god. Nothing happened to him. He's a god. We, we should worship him, right? And so Paul had all these different kind of experiences with the people, but they were there and they were welcoming him. In fact, Publius, as uh, Arthur read, Publius invited him to home for three. Now think about this. Paul is a prisoner. And yet he's given all kinds of freedom. You see later in the, in the chapter, he's given more freedom as well. So he, Publius invites him into his home, and for three days he gets to enjoy this chief official's home, which I'm sure was very nice since he's a chief official. And so Paul healed his, healed his father. What a great blessing for Publius. See, Paul was ever there to serve the Lord and to let people know about the wonderful, powerful, amazing God that he served. And then we read in verse 9, when this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. People came to Paul, came to Paul, came to Paul, and he cured them. And, and he did that, remember? He did that so that people would know of the loving power, the grace of Jesus Christ, so that they would come to know Jesus Christ for their Lord and for their Savior. That's why he did this. We must understand that God is doing great works in and through our life. If you stand back and say, well, you know, I don't really feel like God is doing great and wonderful works in my life, then you might ask yourself another question. Am I truly giving myself over to the Lord? Am I truly trusting myself in the Lord? Am I truly looking to God to help me and to be there for me and to be my God? Am I walking in faith in the Lord? Am I allowing God's power to work in my life? And the more you open yourself up to the Lord, the more you give yourself over to God, the more his power will work in and through your life. And as his power works in and through your life, it will be evident to others around you. So we've been talking about being witnesses. But being a witness is not just speaking words. I mean, that's important. Speaking words, telling the gospel, that's important. But being a witness comes from experiencing and sharing God's power in your life. When God does something in your life, you shouldn't keep it to yourself. You need to tell other people. God saved me in this way. I have to tell you, I'm here because God saved me in this way. Or you have to say, you know, the other day I was doing this and God was there and God protected me. We need to share those stories of what God is doing in our life. That is how we witness. And that is how Paul is witnessing, by sharing the love and the power of Christ, by healing those who are around him. One of the things I love when we go to the orphanage is they get very excited when we come. You know, there's nothing like, I mean, those of you who are grandparents probably know this too, right? You come and your, your grandkids are, Grandma and Grandpa are here, yay! And they run over and they give you hugs and, you know, they're excited. And that's what happens when we come to the orphanage. But what's funny is it's not just the kids that are excited. Like Consuelo gets excited. And Pastor Gabriel and his family get excited. And when we see uh, Pastor Ricardo and his wife, Erica, they get excited. And what's, what's fun is, is uh, when we get close, they, they forget when we're coming. So inevitably, probably within the next couple of weeks, I will get messages from all of them. And they're like, when are you coming again? <laughs> and so I'll send them a message, you know, July 30th to August 2nd. 
And then they get, send like back a fun, encouraging, exciting message back. Oh, we're so excited. We miss you so much. We can't wait till you get here. And it's really special when people get excited when they see you, isn't it? Isn't that nice when, when you show up and someone says, Arthur, wow, it's so good to see you. You know, and just what a wonderful feeling that is when people... And we see that Paul had this experience. I mean, you could just imagine, what is Paul's frame of mind? I mean, he had Christ, and he, he was mostly out, but you, you got to imagine that he, he got down at times, right? I mean, he's, he's under arrest. He's going to Rome. He's going to be tried. He's been in prison for over two years. And so there's times when he gets down, and the Lord knew this. Read the yellow with me. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. Paul had these people, these brothers and sisters in Christ, that saw Paul and said, come, be with us, spend time with us. And in that time, Paul was uplifted again. Paul was reminded again who Jesus was. Paul again was reminded, why am I doing what I'm doing? He was given so much freedom. And he was given the opportunity every place he was to share his faith. And Paul was encouraged. See, God will give you opportunity after opportunity to do good works for Christ. But sometimes you get down, don't you? Sometimes you get tired. Sometimes you get a little worn out. Sometimes you get frustrated. Sometimes it doesn't feel like you're really making a difference. Sometimes it doesn't seem like your words are really impacting people. And God will bring people into your life. God will drown you with people. And God will say, how you doing? Let's, let, let me lift you up. Let me encourage you. Let me love you. Let me remind you of the fellowship in Christ. Let me remind you why we're doing what we're doing, how we are called to share the love of God. Life is full of challenges and hardships and trials, but God promises to be with us in those challenges and trials. But you know what? I have a secret. Even more, God works in and through your life even more in those times of challenge and hardship and trial. You know, I had a lot of people say to me, you know, I'll, you know, if you ever get asked to serve, you probably maybe have done this, right? Where someone says, will you do this? And pretty soon you're probably going to get asked, right? Because the nominating committee is meeting, right? And everybody's going to start hiding behind the speakers when they come in the, the sanctuary, right? Oh, no, there's someone from the nominating committee. <laughs> right? They're going to ask me to be an elder or a deacon, right? And a lot of times when people say, you know, when I give my life in order, then I'll serve. I got a secret for you. Your life is never going to feel like it's in order. Right? It's never going to feel like it's in order because life is full of challenges and trials and hardships and difficulties. That's just what life is. And so you're never going to in this place where, oh, wow, life is so perfect. Everything is just wonderful and I have no worries in the world. It just, I mean, unless you go on a retreat, right? And you spend a week in a retreat, and then you're like, oh, I forgot everything back at home, right? Then you get in the car, and you drive home, and on your way home, you're like, oh, no, I remember this, I got this, I got this, all this. And all this stress comes back on you, right? Serve God whenever, because God works in your life even more when you're going through challenges and hardships and trials. And we see this happen in the life of Paul. The brothers and sisters... Verse 15, it says, They had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. 
So not only were there the brothers and sisters in Rome that invited him, but people heard that Paul was now in Rome, and they started coming from long distances because they wanted to see Paul, and he got to spend time with them, and it says he was encouraged. He was encouraged. Wednesday, April 18th, 2018. That was a fun day for me because that was the day that I taught my first Bible study here. Wednesday, April 18th. Right here in the sanctuary, we had tables set up. There's 15 of us. I started a series in 1 John, and we gathered together, and I did some teaching, and there was questions, and there was discussion and conversation, and it was a really great time. And at the end of that time, I was encouraged because people came up to me and thanked me for doing the Bible study. They thanked me for the teaching. They thanked me for that experience. But you know what? I was encouraged, if not more encouraged, than they were by doing that. It was such a fun time to be there. And since then, we've done several more. And this Wednesday, we're doing another one. It will be the last one of the summer. Wednesday at 7 o'clock, we're going to be in First John again. And it'll be a great time together. I hope you can come to that. Because the more of us that are together, the more fun it is. And we do learning and sharing together. But sometimes when we serve, not only do we encourage those who are serving, but you know what? We get encouraged through our service. And that's a, a wonderful thing. What encourages you? What encourages you? Maybe you've done something for someone and they give you a kind word, an encouraging thought, right? Maybe they send you a note or something. Or maybe they give you a gift saying, thank you for what you did for me. Usually, when we're encouraged by others, people, it's because we have done something for them and they're thanking us and they're giving us a word or a gift or they're responding to what we have done but God reminds us in this passage that serving him encourages us. Serving God encouraged Paul. I mean, when the brothers and sisters came, while he was uplifted by them, he also served them and he spoke to them. And that reminded him again of who he was in Christ and lifted his spirits in all that he was called to do. I have another question for you. Who is the most unlikely person with whom you have shared your faith? Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a stranger on a plane. Maybe it's someone in a restaurant. You know, in our world, it's not that difficult, right? I mean, there's Muslims and universalists and atheists and people who don't know about Christ and people who have completely wrong understandings about Christ. I mean, there's so many different people that we encounter in our world from so many different cultures and so many different backgrounds. Who is the most unlikely person with whom you have shared your faith? I've had conversations with many different people who have had many different views. And the key, I hope the one thing you learn from this series is the key to sharing your faith is to make it real, to be real. I mean, when Paul shared the gospel, what did he do? Every time when he shared the gospel, he told his story, didn't he? He told the story who he was before Jesus. He told the story of how he encountered Jesus. He told the story of how his life was changed and transformed because of Jesus. He kept it real. He just shared his story with others. That's how he was a witness for Christ. He just shared his story. 
You probably remember, I've shared it a couple times. I talked about how I was selfish, just caring about myself, not really worrying about others, not really worrying about having a purposeful and meaningful life in the sense of other than just pleasing myself or maybe a couple people that were friends around me. And then I found Christ. And I was overwhelmed by the love and the grace of Christ. And I was so blessed to have my sins forgiven in Christ. And then Christ transformed me. It would be interesting. I don't know if you think this would be, be interesting if my old self could stand here and my new self now could stand here and we could look at the two, right? I hope there would be a difference between the two. And I think there is a difference because now I serve Christ by serving others. And I'm so blessed and encouraged to do that. What is your testimony? What would your testimony be? What would you tell others about who you are before Jesus? How did you meet Jesus and who you are now? How has Christ transformed your life? I hope you think about those questions so that you have a testimony to share. It's so simple to do. Acts 28.20 says, For this reason I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. See, Paul is given an opportunity to talk to the, lowest, the local Jewish leaders. Remember, time and time again, it was the Jews who opposed um, Paul. It is the Jews, especially the, the leaders, are the reason why Paul is arrested and where he's at. Because they were so opposed to his message about Jesus. They were so opposed about his message that said, the law doesn't save you, only Jesus can save you. And these Jewish leaders in Rome, they're like, we're really interested because there's so, so much um, hatred towards the way. That's what the Christians were called back then. And Paul was a part of that. And they're like, we really want to hear from you. What is going on that's causing all these problems? And so Paul is allowed to speak to the Jewish leaders. And he tells how he has been arrested even though he wasn't guilty and how they were so angry at his message that they wanted to put him to death. Remember that? They, they had plot after plot where they were trying to put Paul to death, thinking that if they could get rid of Paul, just like they were thinking, well, if we got rid of Jesus, it, this would all go away, right? But it didn't. And so now they're like, if we can get rid of Paul, this will all go away. That's how opposed they were to Paul and his message. And so we read in verses 23 and 24, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. Isn't this amazing? They're just coming to hear Paul. And again, he has this opportunity to tell his story. So read the yellow with me. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others could not believe. So he, remember, the, the thing they had was the law, right? And so he used that, the, the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, he used all that to show that Jesus was the only way to salvation. And Paul, at this moment, again, was reminded that because he was in change, because he was arrested, he had this opportunity to share the gospel with people he would never have had the opportunity to share the gospel with. And he saw many people come to believe in Jesus. Sometimes you might be going through a trial, you might be going through a hardship, you might be going through a difficulty, and you might say, 
why am I going through this? Lord, where are you in this? Why are you not taking me out of this? And maybe the Lord is saying to you, because of this, you have an opportunity to serve me in a unique way. Greg has often talked about how now because of his stroke and his heart condition and he goes to therapy, he now has the opportunity to share his faith with the people that he's in therapy with, with the, doing the heart, heart therapy, right? And, he, and he, he, instead of saying, oh, woe is me, Lord, why did you do this to me? He's like, oh, Lord, I am so thankful that you've given me the opportunity to share my faith and I can touch the lives of others because now I'm encountering people I would never have encountered had this not happened to me. And that doesn't mean God did it to him, but what it does mean is that God is allowing him to be used, and, and Greg is open to that opportunity to be used in the midst of this hardship. I mean, it's not easy for him. I mean, he can't drive. And I know at times that's hard. He's probably like, Pastor, why are you calling me out? <laughs> you didn't talk to me about this before. You know, I didn't, I had no idea. But testimonies are important, aren't they? I could go around and name several of your testimonies. I won't, okay? So you're like, oh, no, no, he's going to talk about me. Let me see, who am I going to talk about next? But testimonies are important. I mean, to know the stories of people, in our, even in the midst of our own church, that have gone through adversity, in the midst of their adversity, they are serving Christ that is a story we need to know about, we need to be reminded of, and we need to say, my story is important too. I have a story. I've had trials. I've had hardship. I've had adversity. But have you allowed God to use you in those new experiences because you are there in the midst of that trial? That's the key. Are you allowing God to use you in those times? Paul shares one bit of good news at the end, and he talks about how the gospel was not just for the Jews, which was a shock for the Jews, because remember, the Jews only thought that the, the, God, the salvation was for them. Paul said, no, it is for everyone. It is for Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews. It is not for, God doesn't save those because of position or title or power status or influence or popularity. It cannot be purchased, it cannot be earned, it cannot be inherited, it cannot be manipulated, it cannot be traded. We only receive salvation through Christ. And that salvation is for all who believe. All who believe. So let me close with a ver the ending verses, the very last two verses of the book. And then a question. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. You notice two things? Number one, he's there in Rome two more years. And where is he? A rented house. He's a prisoner. <laughs> he's in a rented house. God really blessed him in the midst of his being a prisoner and welcomed all who came to see him. He got to have, freely have visitors come to him. And read the ending, the last verse with me. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What was Paul doing after the very last days of his life? That's okay. Thank you, Greg. He still likes me. Thank you, Greg. <laughs>
Paul was speaking about Jesus and preaching the gospel to the very last breath and excited to do so. What is the greatest gift you've ever received? I started to think about this, and I thought, well, materially, what was it? I mean, I've gotten a number of gifts, you know. As you get older, I mean, you get a lot of gifts, right? I mean, probably, you're probably like me at the place where when it's time for your birthday or Father's Day or Christmas, it's like, what are you going to give me? I have really everything I need, right? But what is the greatest gift? Probably the greatest gift I've given, I've been given a lot of great gifts, but probably when I graduated from high school, I got a Selmer Mark VI tenor saxophone right over there. The saxophone that I'm playing this morning, I got when I graduated from high school. And I'm still using it. What a great gift it is. Wonderful gift. Then I thought, well, what about relationally? What's the greatest gift I've ever gotten relationally? And I would say my wife and because of our marriage, our two kids. Greatest gift relationally I've ever gotten. Should have said this church, though, huh? All the people, all the people in this church. You are the best gift I've ever gotten in my life. But you probably know where I'm going with this, right? Read the yellow with me. For the wages of sin is death, but what? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is the greatest gift you've ever been given? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, the greatest gift you've ever been given is salvation. Hands down, another gift is close. The only gift that really is important in all of life is this. If you received anything from this series, I pray that you get this down. The greatest gift you've ever received is Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And the more you live for the Lord, the greater your life will be. So, I hope this series on Acts has challenged you to be a witness to share your faith. Because you don't want to keep that great gift just to yourself, right? You want everybody to have this great gift. I hope this series has encouraged you as a Christ follower, built you up and say, wow, I'm excited that I'm a Christ follower. This is the best thing that could ever be happened in my life, to be a Christ follower. I hope this series has strengthened you to know that you are special to God. So much so that he sent his son to die for you. I hope this series gives you hope for your present and for your future. Let's pray.